Welcome back to another episode of La Pausa Pod, where today we're going to be talking about the Super Duel, although it turned into more of a light sparring session with Barcelona coming out on top, 1-0 victory against Atletico Madrid. But before we jump into that, we want to go through the league and just cover a couple of quick hitters. There's been some injury news, some transfer news, and... Yeah, get uh, we'll get Jamie's take on those. But Jamie, how are you doing? It's it's chilly over in England at the moment, yeah. Yeah, I'm doing good. L- a little bit of a cold, but yeah, not too bad. I don't feel quite as bad as uh, Diego Simeone watching Joao Felix score in front of him for for the opposite team. Uh, I think I'll I'll go out on a limb and say that. Yeah, look, he he did look pretty sick at 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 one point in the second half. There, Joao Felix is after. Diving is what Simeone was kind of saying after a Cesar Azpilicueta challenge and Simeone was just standing there like and you could tell the rage was burning in his eyes. But we'll get into all of that in just a minute. Uh, the, the quick hitters I wanted to refer to was Yangel Herrera will miss six weeks with a hamstring injury. So that basically means he's out until the middle of January. So those games he'll miss. Barcelona, Alaves, Real Betis. And Atletico Madrid, three really, really tough games there. And Alaves is no walkover either. And then he'll be back probably for Almeria in the middle of January. But this is a huge loss for, for Girona. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we could, we could probably pick 11 players a season for Girona so far. But to lose just one of them, I think, will make a pretty big difference. And especially uh, Yangel. Um it's. Uh, I'm undecided what Michel is going to do with it. I'm not sure if he's going to back Pablo Torre to come in uh, and probably drop Ivan Martin a little, a little bit further back, or if he's going to bring in David Lopez into midfield to try and cover that that loss of uh, presence uh, and physicality. Um, I'm sure Barcelona fans want to see Torre come in, but I'm I'm not convinced Michel uh, w- will see it that way, but. I would like to see Torre come in, but as I said last night, I, I tweeted on the account saying, I think if he comes in, he's going to have to be very good on the attacking end to make up for what uh, Girona are going to lose out of possession. In one way, Girona are kind of playing with house money now at the moment, so maybe he'll just try something completely crazy. They're playing Barcelona, and obviously they'll want to win it, but at the same time, it won't be massive issue if they don't they'll be expected to lose that game so maybe he'll play Stuani and Dubbic up front maybe he'll bring David Lopez in play Eric Garcia in midfield maybe it's something our minds our our, our puny little brains can't even fathom yet because Michel is going to just come up with something that he's going to play I don't know Sabio left back or something and pop Delhi Blind into midfield I don't know the, the, the options are are unlimited with Michel really and, and he he does have a, a kind of a funny squad mixture that he probably does have a solution there somewhere but it's just a matter about the trade-offs in terms of maybe moving just for example Eric Garcia further forward in in a specific match what are you losing in defense and then what are you losing by displacing Alex Garcia things like that so yeah a lot of things that we we probably can't even, the unintended consequence I think they're as they're called so yeah that's that's the big one at the weekend Barcelona versus Girona and the, the big news is Yankel Carrera I've got a I've got a chart of his radar as a midfielder this season I'll post on Twitter after but basically he's just 
wins so many jewels and he also gets into the box and on the end of chances so often he's in the 94th percentile for goals 81st percentile for shots 84th percentile for touches in the opposition box and he's just going to be such a big loss all over the field for them so yeah we're, we're going to be paying very very close attention to that another one we're going to be paying very close attention to is danny carvajal will miss a month with a calf injury their games are betis Villarreal, alaves and mallorca nothing overly complicated there their bet is somewhat complicated Villarreal under marcelino will be tricky but carvajal is 31 now and had has been or we thought he was on the decline but he's been ma- magnificent this season and they don't really have a replacement in the squad and all of a sudden they have a proper injury crisis going on here over at the at the Bernabeu. Mm, yeah, I, I don't think anybody thought Carvajal would be this good this season. Probably if you were going to rank Real Madrid's top performers this season, I, I, I'd probably put him in the top three along with Bellingham, Bellingham and Valverde for me. Um, yeah, Carvajal is, is going to be a, a really big loss. Uh, but I also don't think you can talk about his season without mentioning Valverde because the way he works off Carvajal and covers him defensively uh, allows him to play really high up the pitch. To just have the jet-heeled Valverde behind him, covering him, making sure he's not caught out of position a lot, I think is... Those two are kind of like a, a, a double right-back pair at times. I know Valverde plays everywhere, but yeah, Valverde is... He, he just locks up the right side for Real Madrid and allows Carvajal to to play uh, further forward. But Carvajal has been very good defensively in individual terms. So for Real Madrid, I guess the answer is probably going to be Lucas Vasquez coming in, but they'll want to spend more time attacking than defending once that happens. Yeah, a couple of the those injuries are are injuries to some of the most underrated players. Yankel, I know Girona is full of, of underrated players and I'd say even Martin, Yankel Carrera, Miguel Gutierrez. I'm, I'm torn as to which one of them is the most underrated of the underrated players, but Yankel Carrera definitely up there. Carvajal, another guy who just stitches everything together. Not like It's not like an injury to Bellingham. It's not like an injury to Vinicius, but it is a significant one and it is going to, again, mean more unintended consequences for Valverde is going to have to maybe drop a little bit deeper keep an eye closer on that right hand side and they probably won't get the attacking the attacking threat from Lucas Vasquez that Carvajal can offer and then finally just a final bit of news before we get into the Barcelona Atletico game is Brian Zaragoza linked with Bayern Munich inevitable really he had been linked with some big clubs in in the last month or so Leipzig was one and but Bayern Munich coming from 14 million is the reported clause uh, that he, they're going to pay and he's going to be loaned back to Girona or to Granada for the rest of the season but he, I would have thought he needed an intermediary step there before jumping up to the, the likes of Bayern Munich and it's it'll be interesting to see how that goes but what were your initial thoughts when you saw that link and, and basically the confirmation from some of the biggest outlets in Spain Yeah I, I'd seen a few weeks ago that Leipzig were, were the team who were pushing for him and then Bayern seemed to have come in and, and snatched him now. So I think the German clubs especially look at him with, with the way that football is played over there, a bit more transitional. 
uh, quicker end to end. You look at a player like Zaragoza and think in German football he could he could just wreak havoc. But yeah, I'm not with, without knowing the ins and outs of Bayern at the moment. How how they see his development? Is he on track to be a starter next season, or are they are they trying to move on from Coman or something? I, I don't know. But for Zaragoza, I think going over there and beefing up a little bit. I'd, that's probably a little bit a bit a simplification, but when players go to Bayern Munich, they seem to turn into gym freaks all of a sudden. So, if he can become a, a little bit stronger as well to to pair with the 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 quickness off the mark, then he was already a difficult cover one v one. But he he could well be like the the Spanish Jeremy Doku within within a few seasons. Yeah, it's a good good comparison actually, and I I guess the way Bayern are thinking about it like why let Leipzig buy him for 14 million when he's probably going to turn into a 40 million player with one good season under his belt and having worn the Bayern shirt he'll, he'll be 40 million so it's a little bit concerning for the player because if it's if he's I mean, 14 million is a lot of money for normal world but in football it's not a huge amount of money so they're, they're, they're probably quicker to discard players who they who they buy and see his projects but also they see they, they, he could also the ceiling is so high for bringing Zaragoza that they're thinking we have to take this risk here and yeah it'll be interesting to see how that one goes it's wild to think that Granada will have started the season with two players who are going to be playing in well we we, we imagine they'll be playing Champions League football next season Samu Omarodion and Brian Zaragoza two players who They've sold for a combined twenty million, and while it's a lot of money for Granada, it's it doesn't seem like it it adds up in terms of just the, the ceiling that we think those guys can have. Yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate how quickly the the big clubs have have leapt on their style talents. Like you say, Samu played one match against Atletico, and they signed him straight after. Zaragoza has played barely half a season, not not quite that yet, and he's had some signature games against Barcelona and a few others. But yeah, it feels it feels early uh, for those two to have left, and unfortunate as well because the you know the example with Samu going to going to Atletico and then being loaned to Alaves on loan, a relegation uh, rival for Granada, and then he scores in the game that gets Paco Lopez sacked. So. Yeah, uh, pretty crazy uh, stuff on their end, unfortunately. Yeah, and it still looks like they're well, they're they are fighting relegation, but it looks like they could be set for the drop. So, but they'll be twenty million euro richer. So that's one thing at least. Yeah. But anyway, on to the Barcelona versus Atletico game. The game ended one nil. Barcelona, Joe Felix goal in the first half settled it. Barcelona finished with two point five five xg. Atletico Madrid with zero point six. 2xg which is they only really came to life in the last half an hour it was marketed as the super duel duel, duel here in spain and around the world but it really didn't turn into a super duel at all they, they, they barely even they barely even got going really um barcelona looked really impressive though that, that they were your initial thoughts jamie right yeah probably the best they've played since the first half or the first hour or so of the Clasico and I'm not sure if there's something in that really where playing against better opposition 
maybe they're a bit um, bit more willing to engage you and, and to come out and leave leave spaces for you to play in. I know Atletico didn't really come out and press, but one of the things in the first half was when they did try to do it, they were they were just really disorganized and and they didn't press as a unit. There were a couple of times where Koke was the 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 furthest player forward pressing Iñaki Pena, and you could see immediately that there were easy ways for them to to play out around them and then there'd be a massive hole in midfield. So I think Atletico came with a plan to sit off and, and try and frustrate because we've seen Barcelona struggle against back fives all season, really. But then it started to change and they could see Barcelona were really comfortable. They were moving the ball quickly, uh, quickly and easily, uh, shifting them around constantly. And I think they kind of felt we need to take a step forward now and try and disrupt this because... This just feels a bit too easy, but then there were there were just breakdowns constantly, and uh, yeah, we can talk about those in a minute. And one of those led to the first goal as well. Yeah, it was it was Jimenez getting dragged out of position for the Pedri Pedri to pick it up in the centre as Atletico Madrid pushed. But I suppose we'll start at the very back for Barcelona. In Kunde started as right back, Araujo as right centre back. And Rafinha as the right winger, and that looked a lot more. It it made a lot more sense for Barcelona from from that standpoint. Do you think that that's and then Christensen and then Joao Cancelo on the left, which is a complete deviation from what we had seen. Joao Cancelo, Araujo, it was Araujo, and then it was Kunde, Christensen, or a another Inigo Martinez, and then Balde. So. Xabi really trying to provoke something here, trying to change things up. Do you think that's the settled back four now for the for the foreseeable future? Yeah, I think so. Um, watching Kunde especially at right back in this game, you you were just thinking, why have they not done this from the start of the season? And uh, Andre Orlandi was commentating on the on the English feed for this game, and he basically summed it up as insane. If Kunde doesn't want to play right back, then he shouldn't play this well. Um, and I, I think that was that was the key. Playing Koundé at right back, he's just in in short, he, he's much better on the ball than Araujo is. And I think Barcelona kept possession alive by having him there instead of Araujo. I think sometimes when the ball goes out to Araujo at right back, teams know that he's not he's not the sharpest with his feet, and they they kind of use it as a trigger to press and, and force mistakes out of him. With Koundé, you've got him, he's, he's just smoother on the ball. He can dribble out of pressure. Uh, he's more under control. And to, to be fair, this this wasn't, you know, right back um, coming inside to play as a third centre-back. Koundé pretty much played as a, an orthodox right back in this game. And first half, especially when Barcelona were over- overloading the left side uh, with all their midfielders and Felix and Cancelo, when they switched it across to, to Rafinha or Koundé, it was... Oftentimes it was a 2v1 against Riquelme because De Paul just wasn't quick enough to get across. So, yeah, Koundé was, uh, he defended well in this game and he affected the game in attack as well. So, this has got to be the way forward for them. Yeah, and, and for, for that first goal, it came after 28 minutes. And basically, what happened, that, that's exactly what happened in that Atletico pressing up man for man. Rodrigo de Paul was in that hybrid pressing role. He was covering the centre, but also stepping out on Kunde. If that was Araujo, 
DePaul can cheat further inside to the centre and it means that he's comfortable knowing that Araujo is not going to win it, control it well, get turned, cause problems. Whereas Koundé really will. So Rodrigo DePaul is a little bit a little bit stuck as to... I need I need to stay out here, but if I if I push any further out to the left, the whole middle is is open, and that's exactly what happened. Pedri picked it up. Both Rodrigo de Paul and Jimenez went to Pedri. Rodrigo de Paul was way too late. Kunde picks it up, passes it forward, and that that's how the goal came. And I I, I do think that it Barcelona were really really slick here and. They, they look like such a smarter team with Frankie de Jong, Ilkay Gundogan and Pedri in the middle and in how they, the options for the ball, how hard it is to cover that, that midfield tree in terms of, we always hear about like the, the triangles and giving them, giving the passer, the player on the ball options to pass. But, Atletico Madrid just had no chance and I think that Koke was left so many times having to cover two men that it just became an almost impossible task but having said that so Barcelona on their side of things looked really slick absolutely but what were Atletico Madrid doing they there was no aggression in how they were trying to press there was no coordination how they were trying to press and I I think that both it's 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 one of two things they Atleti- Barcelona looked really good, but Atletico Madrid's intensity was just nowhere where it needed to be in the biggest game of the season for them so far. They've been on such a good run of form, and this is something that has happened against Valencia, and it's happened now in in, in the biggest game of the season for them. It, it's definitely worrying for Simeone in that. Do you think he knows what his best eleven is yet? Um. Yeah, well, it was something you mentioned in the notes. Uh, did did Atletico get the eleven right? And um, no, I I was just interested to to hear what what you thought about that because for me, I think the only change I probably would have made was Samuelino, a left wing back instead of Riquelme. But was there was there another player or, or two that you felt should have been in the eleven? Yeah, well, I I I don't know what Jimenez was doing, playing and starting at, le- at in in the center of that back three. Because he, he he adds nothing in possession in terms of when you watch it, how Atletico were building up, he wasn't even an option. He was pointing across to Witzel and he was pointing to Mario. When Jan Oblak got the ball, he was pointing to, to the other players, give the ball to them. And he was basically, he's, he's, a, he's a negative in possession. And then out of possession, he just lost his head. And okay, th- th- those things can happen. But... I, I can't really understand why you wouldn't put so, so the the the, the centre back pairings for Atletico this season have been Axel Witzel, Mario Ramoso, and Stefan Savage. They've started five games together, three hundred and fifty seven minutes. Then you've got Witzel, Aspiliqueta, and Mario Ramoso started four games together, and then Axel Witzel, Jimenez, and Mario Ramoso is the third most used, and they've started three games together. Why didn't he start Savage, or why didn't he start Caesar Aspiliqueta? I, I I can't really understand why, what the thinking was behind Jimenez when you kind of knew that. Was he trying to turn into a bit of more of a fight? Because but they didn't come out fighting either, and then that that was pretty much the only one. It wasn't like I had any any sizzling hot take or anything on it. But I also <laughs> think, I also think that Samuelino 
is the starting left back, left wing back, left wing winger here in this team. And he adds he adds something completely different. I think he's probably not as consistent as Carrasco used to be, but we saw in the second half, and I know we don't have the counterfactual to to we can't say that Leno would have definitely done this from the very start if he had a start, but he's just such a dynamic straight line runner. He 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 can drift inside and cause problems. He would have asked a lot more questions of Kunde. He would have, I just think he would have added to an attack that was just lacking. Anytime they got the ball into the final third, it was like waiting for Griezmann to do something. And Raquel May wasn't really offering that. And I don't think he does offer that really. And so, yeah, I think Lino should have started. I think Azpilicueta or El Savage should have started. And... But aside from that, I mean, it's, it it probably is that's your your starting eleven. Yeah, yeah, no, I um, I understand the points that, that they definitely make sense. Jimenez definitely got he was just too hot in the game, and I know that Simeone wants that from his defenders. But I remember watching Portugal play against Uruguay um, not too long ago, and and Jimenez was absolutely kicking the life out of Joao Felix and they were teammates at that point. So I think he really wanted the opportunity to go up against him. And then, you know, he, he was already booked and then he went up for that corner and threw Felix on the floor. And it was just like bet- between the, the lack of discipline and the fact he was getting caught out of position as well, it, it made sense for, for Simeone to bring him off. Um, and Simeone did say after the first half, they just weren't good enough on the ball. Um, they couldn't get any foothold in the game because they didn't ha- have uh, the, the means to progress the ball at the pitch without finding a, a quick pass on a counter. So as Billy Quetta, I think definitely would have been a better solution, especially because they were they were using the centre-backs to jump out onto midfielders. Um, Hermoso had a big problem with Pedri in the first half with that, I thought. Um, but yeah, on Riquelme as well, I think Simeone imagined that they would be able to get up the field quicker or have more space to run in behind on, on counters, but they could never get him beyond Koundé. So he wasn't really ideal because Lino is a much tighter dribbler than Riquelme. Riquelme is, is, is full on straight line speed. Uh, and, and you saw Lino in the second half, he was playing not only as, as a, as a wing back or winger, whatever you want to call it, but he was, he got a few passes inside the pitch as well where they punched balls through the lines and he could turn quickly and attack the defence. So I think Riquelme came into the match with that Man of the Match award uh, at Feyenoord and Simeone thought, well, we'll we'll just we'll keep this going, see if we've got some good feelings. But I think Lino showed that he's he should be the, the full-time left wing-back um, for, for, for future games. Yeah, the, the, and in terms of the counters, the only player that could really keep the ball and make it stick was Griezmann and he was having to drop slightly further back because Barcelona were doing such a good job of of keeping the ball but also progressing while they were doing it just moving the ball across the field like I said about the the passing angles that were available for every every player on the ball for Barcelona Um, and it led to it looked like it looked like the grass was was holding the ball up for Atletico. They were under-hitting passes, so many passes. And I also think that that was partly because Barcelona were doing a really good job of jumping those passes. But Koke's 72% pass completion, it was his lowest in a game he has started in, in over a year. So versus Sevilla last October, 
really poor from him. And you're saying Hermoso had problems with Pedri. Koke had massive problems with Pedri. Pedri was really good on the ball, but off the ball, he was just... Every time Koke got anywhere near it, Pedri was there just, just, just not even really... Not even really like getting uh, getting contact on or, or tackling him, but just there hassling him and, 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 and being a nuisance. And I think that really upset Koke's game. So they couldn't even get the ball out, those initial one or two passes, in order to then settle yourself and then counter. They weren't even on because Atletico were under-hitting passes. Barcelona were pressing them so well. And we've talked about Barcelona's press and how poor it was. But I thought it was a re- it was really good in this game. And I think that that comes down to their midfield, which we'll talk about now. The top three Barcelona pa- uh, players for passes completed were Gundogan at 89, Frankie de Jong 84, and Pedri 58. And I think that with those three in the middle... We had, we had, I know Gabby is gone now for the season, and 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 I love Gabby. Think he's think he's been doing great this season. But that's that's your midfield tree, basically. I don't think there's any doubt about it. They offer everything that you need in terms of, uh, physicality with the young, energy, positioning, passing, technique. That's your midfield tree, and it's it's kind of like a double pivot. If you look at their pass pass map, their average positions it's De Jong and Gundogan in the double pivot and and Pedri just slightly further ahead of them and they kept pushing towards the ball as you said overloading and Atletico Madrid were just left at sea because there was one point where Koke was like the, the Barcelona were passing the ball up the right hand side and it was Kunde on it and both it was both Gundogan and Pedri rushing towards him, but just enough distance between them to give him an option of the angle. Koke pointed at both of them. You could see his hand. He was like pointing at who, which so I, I need help here. But then on top of that, Koke tried his best to kind of cover the two of them. And all of a sudden you can see Frankie de Jong making a beeline over too. And it's like, this, this, it's a, this is impossible to defend, to defend against. Firstly, because it's an, just numerical advantages. And secondly, because there's so much talent in those three. Who do you even pick up? There's no hierarchy. Do you stop Pedri? Okay, you pick the, fur, the man furthest forward, maybe. But then you're letting Gundogan run the game. So, yeah, I think I think Barcelona were really good. And, and, and that midfield just looks really slick. Yeah, I remember saying to you a few weeks ago, watching those three playing and, and asking the question, how is this midfield trio producing s- such little football, given the quality that they've got there? And you, as along with the the tweaks in in how they set up, you you can still point to the fact that that was only the fourth game they've they've started together that trio. So this is this is still very early for them in terms of creating synergy and relationships on the pitch. But I don't know about you, but I thought it was um, that midfield looked it looked less rigid than usual there was more more fluidity of movement Pedri and Felix were were moving across the pitch so they weren't staying in designated left and right zones they were they were playing closer together that four and I feel like they they combined a lot more than than we'd seen previously and um, I've got a stat for you as well which I just looked up before this um it was the first time this season that Barcelona's top three players for passes in a match in a league match were 
were there three midfielders or they were all midfielders. Um, so there was a game against Cadiz early in the season where De Jong, Gundogan and Romeo were the three. But uh, De Jong played as a left-sided centre-back in that game, if I remember rightly. So I'm going to call this and say it was the first time the three midfielders had all been the most active players in terms of passes. And it felt that way. And yeah. the fact that Barcelona looked as good as they have in quite a long time with all those three players featured in the game, moving to the ball, coming to receive defeat uh, and not just holding positions and waiting for passes. I think that was a, a huge factor in the game. Definitely. And that's that's spot on. You could even tell watching the game just by getting a general sense. The, the, the centre-backs didn't touch the ball as much, obviously, because like we said, Kunde was out on the right, so Araujo, didn't, the ball didn't go through him as much. And it was De Jong, Gundogan just running this game. And then Pedri, not as involved as the stats show, just 58 completed passes, but it was the top, it was among the top three for Barcelona. And he was just sprinkling in his little bit of magic whenever needed. And I, yeah, this is the formula for them going forward. But I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you why that worked, or, or one of the reasons we can't say definitively, we can't separate things out. It's too hard to do. But a big reason for that is that left hand side. With Joe Cancelo on the left and Joe Felix given the freedom and with the confidence to drift inside, there was times when he was just running across the attack line, dragging players with him. So Llorente was kind of following him when he came inside, but he would only go so far. And then all of a sudden he would have to leave and Koke would be left with him. But Pedri was there, so that was leaving. It was, it was just causing Atletico Madrid all sorts of problems. And they, they, were, they were left with overloads all over the field but that left hand side and Joe Felix was just like I mean it's funny because he wasn't outrageously good dribbling by players and 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 like um I don't know show show like I, I don't even know if he's the man of the match he probably was just by virtue of getting the goal but he was just plugged in his decisions were quick his decisions were crisp he was available, he was plugged in, and that's not that's actually Joe Felix's issue most of the time in that he, he, he games can pass him by, he can get frustrated, and then all of a sudden he, he's, he's, a, he's the first player taken off because the, the, the manager can see, no, it's not happening for him today, and when it's not happening for Joe Felix, you might as well forget about him. <laughs> yeah, I don't. if you remove the goal from the game, I don't think it looks very different to what we've seen from... Joao Felix in general, since he's been at Barcelona, there's always nice touches, uh, you know, always invention, creation in the final third. Um, but yeah, I do think there is something in when there's, there's something a bit extra on a game for Felix. And, the, you know, you, you're straight into anecdotal territory here, but I remember his debut for Chelsea and he looked incredible. At the start of his Barcelona career, he looked really good then he sort of has a, a bit of a lull where he's not... He's still impacting games, but he's not really producing in terms of the numbers. Uh, and then this big game comes around against Atletico, and again, he just looks... He looks sharper, and more so than his touches and what he gave you on the ball. I think he just looked more... He played with more urgency in general. He, he was recovering balls. Uh, Xavi mentioned that after when they asked him about Felix. One of the first things he said was, to reference what he did without the ball, uh, the fact he was not being caught a position, 
hassling defenders, you know, actually making efforts to recover the ball. And for me, that's the biggest thing with Felix. Just show that level of urgency every single week. When he left um, Atletico for the first time, I was not not hoping because I, I think it was out of the question at that point, but I hoped one day that Felix would find his way to work with Guardiola because I thought he was the coach that would kind of work work it into him that Felix has to be play with urgency for 90 minutes every single week. Too many times I think he falls into coasting a little bit and playing on talent alone and you know making a pass and, and walking away instead of passing and going. That That's the biggest thing for me and I think games like this actually bring it out of him. I think, uh, yeah, you're straying into the anecdotal territory, but I do remember that as well. Maybe three years ago or something, Joe Felix was left on the bench for a Champions League game against uh, Leipzig. And I, I may be dis- misremembering this slightly, but Joe Felix came on for the last, whatever, 20 minutes. Atletico were losing or drawing. And he came on and he was just a force of nature. He, everything he touched was just brilliant. He won a penalty. I think he scored the penalty. It was just, he was, went onto that field and he said, I am going to, I'm going to bend this game to my will. And he did. And he was unbelievable. I was like, what, where has this show Felix been? And, you know, he kind of, he coasts on that then. He's like, look, I showed you what I can do. Play me. And then it's like, yeah, but okay, that's great. Now do that again and do it again and do it again. <laughs> and and I think yeah. that's been his issue. He 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 played he played 77 minutes against Atletico. He touched the ball 61 times, which is the what is that? His third most touches in a game. And it was just 77 minutes. The other the other times he touched it more were against against Alaves. And Granada, he played 90 minutes against Granada, but he won possession six times. He was constantly being fouled by Atletico players, just a complete thorn in their side. And he, uh, yeah, I mean, what, 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 what else can we say? Is he going to do this again? Is he going to keep doing it? I think he, he really maybe just needs to focus now on the football because he's coming out now saying, oh, I made a big effort to come here. I hope Barcelona do the same for me. And I'm not entirely sure that they have the means to go and do it, especially for a player who has only shown flashes. And yeah, the sad thing is that if the the economics don't suit Barcelona, they're obviously not going to, they're not going to make a huge effort for him. You would think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, It's, um, for Felix, it has to be. This cannot be come with any thoughts of job done or you know I've shown up in a big match now. People know what I'm about. Yeah, exactly. Next game has to be has to be exactly the same um, because he's still you know just just because you've scored the goal in a winning um, a winning goal in a game against your old team with, with the spotlight on you d- does not mean this is case closed and Barcelona are going to stump up whatever it costs to take you. It's He's making his case every single week until, until the end of the season. So this this just has to be the beginning for him. His, the performances have not been bad, but there's definitely still room for improvement. And, and especially without the ball, uh, if Barcelona wants to be a top team and fight for titles, their attackers need to need to really work and apply themselves without the ball as well. They need to be weapons out of possession. Um, and I, you see 
Rafinha is, is not the best player in the world. He's not the best winger or South American that's ever played for Barcelona, but that guy runs his socks off every, every single game. And when he makes a run beyond and the pass goes out of play, he doesn't jog back to position. He, he genuinely sp- sprints and, and he, he leaves everything on the pitch. So he's, he's another guy we probably could mention that it all came together for Barcelona in possession. They, they look crisp. All the midfields are involved. Cancelo is, you know, doing all sorts from left back. Uh, and then you add Rafinha into the mix who he needs less of the ball to feet. He's more willing to run without it. And I think he complimented everyone well in this game um, just for his his legs. The fact he doesn't dally on the ball, he, you know, he makes decisions quickly. I know he, he often rushes them, but if you're looking for a, a best 11 going forward, I think Rafinha would be in it for, for, for now, uh, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and we haven't even mentioned Lewandowski, who is just close to now, and, and all the talk now is ramping up towards Victor Roque arriving in, in January for Barcelona. And, and and it's like that. They don't have to be... The attacking line doesn't have to be incredible. When when the midfield has that kind of control, when Pedri, Gundogan and Frankie de Jong are in the middle, asserting the kind of control they can on a game, bringing what they can bring in terms of Frankie and, and, and dribbling forward, progressing the ball and Pedri's and Gundogan's creativity just from out around the box and then when the attack just does take those chances I mean the XG 2.55 to 0.62 that's a 1-0 hammering really and yeah it looked like that in the first half just a, 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 a stroll in the park for Atletico but I, I will say and we don't like to talk about referees on La Posa Pod here because as Jose said if, if I talk I get in trouble but Early, early yellow cards for for key players. The referee, it, it was tr- it, it didn't feel like there was a nasty tackle in the game, really. Like let's be honest, and there was three point two fouls per card, which is the eleventh highest in La Liga this season. He gave early cards to Witzel, Jimenez, and Coke. They were all booked within thirty eight minutes. Atletico only had like four fouls in that opening thirty eight minutes, and they had three yellow cards. The the Jimenez one with the knee on the back to Joe Felix. Look, I mean, I understand it, but a little bit harsh. Like, let them play. The the, the Witzel one, Koke, and then, and then even for Barcelona, it wasn't just for Atletico. Ferran Torres came on and, and fouled Angel Correa. He booked Angel Correa. Joe Felix was booked. A fairly you, straightforward. Oh, yeah. Did you see the Koundé one? Well, um, remind me, I... I I mean, it, it was edge of the box and he clearly took the ball uh, and he, he booked him for it. Oh, I thought he booked Araujo for d- protesting after that. That wasn't it. How, how can you give a yellow card for that? And then he gave, <laughs> and then he gave the free for um, Araujo, kind of pushing Memphis to the ground. And then he booked Joe Cancela for like a hand, a, a, a kind of a hand to the chest of Angel Correa. And I know that those... Um, those when you raise your hands like that, referees just it's a yellow card. And but then he ran out yeah. of players to book, so he ran over and booked Javi. And I just feel like it was the kind of game where I guess it's the exact opposite of what Diego Simeone wanted to happen, where he wanted to kind of turn it into this kind of a an affair where there was loads of on the brink fouls that weren't really yellows, but kind of the referee just started booking people. And that was basically Jimenez was finished from the start. <laughs> he was booked too early <laughs> and he was just like, this guy's going to get sent off and he's going to ruin <laughs> any chance of a goal or any chance of a, a result for us here. But yeah, I just thought the referee, 
and and that's his interpretation of the game i understand it and he was just trying to keep control but it was i just get the feeling that he had it in his head this is going to be a really spiky affair and before it even got a chance to be spiky he just leaned into it and started booking people and i think it definitely had an effect on the game and I, I I just yeah. thought it was worth mentioning because I thought there was it was there was very few actual really nasty foes and loads of bookings. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, you were right. Actually, it was Araujo that got booked, but again, just to give the foul for that Kunde yeah um, thing was was just ridiculous. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was. You were right to say it conditioned the game more for Atletico, especially with Koke as well because. Um, they had Mario Suarez on the broadcast uh, in English language this weekend as well. Uh, I didn't know he could actually speak English, but he was him and Orlando were really good. And he's he was saying you could see it in Koki that after he got booked, those those spaces that he was having to cover, um, there was no thought whatsoever of, of making a tactical foul because you know he he was he was he was walking on glass at that point, so it, it made things even worse for Koki and. It was a it was a game where if you just turned it on, he just looked really slow and, and out of position all the time. So, um, yeah, uh, along with that, let's go not just not flowing or generating any sort of play in the first half. The, those yellow cards just really knocked them as well. And just on on the final point on that, is it worrying for Barcelona the fact that? They were in such control of the game. The XG obviously t- tells the story and. But but yet it, it took a wonder save from Iñaki Pena from Memphis from a free kick to to save them in the end. They didn't put the game to bed. And Atletico start when when Atletico actually started to play and they brought on Saul and the midfield became a little bit more dynamic and they started to move a little bit quicker around that area, they, they did come into the game. Is that worrying for Barcelona? Because it's three points and at the end of the day that's that's all Xavi wanted from this game, and and that's that's uh, that's good. But is it worrying that they didn't put the game to bed? Yeah, last half hour, let's go. Were actually pretty. I would say decent, but they were definitely forcing the issue. I know you kind of have to at that point; you've got no other choice. But yeah, maybe you had. I'd, I'd not. I'd not really acknowledge that part of the game for Atletico. It was not a good game, but the last part, they kind of forced the issue well. They went to a 4-4-2 and they were really occupying Barcelona's back line quite well. Not, you know, having midfielders in the pockets or anything, but they were just uh, Correa, Griezmann, uh, Memphis, Lino coming in as well and they caused some confusion there. Um, but yeah, for Barcelona, that's that's the... That's the negative from this game that they didn't score more, and it was weird because Lewandowski all season has been his work in general play and his the way he's connected the game has been really poor. His his touch just sloppy constantly, but he has scored goals. And then in this game, it was he missed all the good chances, and his work outside the box was actually okay or, or certainly better than it has been. So. Mm. Yeah, this is Barcelona. Just have to settle on the fact that they've they've got an eleven that seems to make sense now. I look across the pitch, and positionally, relationships they're not there yet in full because they've not played enough. But I can I can see the way forward for this particular eleven now, and maybe they'll find the the scoring touch in coming weeks. Yeah. So next up for Atletico, it's Almeria. 
should be straightforward for them. And for Barcelona, it's Girona. If Girona, if Barcelona can come out of these two games in a week with six points or even four points now, it's it'll leave some definitely leave some very good feelings in the in that dressing room and and as to where they were at just before these games. So yeah, we'll be we're gonna leave it here for that this episode of La Bausa Pod. We'll be back next week to discuss more La Liga. But for myself and Jamie on this episode, it is adios.